You are listening to The Path Podcast on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello, Mountain Bike Radio listeners. Welcome to a new episode of The Path Podcast. Before this episode, there are two things that I want you to check out. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to do anything else. Go to mountainbikeradio.com slash mulberrygap. That's M-U-L-B-E-R-R-Y-G-A-P. So mountainbikeradio.com slash mulberrygap. The other one is go to shopmbr.com. I've updated a lot of uh, different designs, several different hat designs, new shirts, uh, with plenty of options in terms of colors for each of those. So that's all I'm asking. Go to mountainbikeradio.com slash mulberrygap and shopmbr.com. That's it. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. This is Nathan. This is Ock, and it's freaking great to be here. This is Tawny. Stoked up. And welcome to another episode of the Path Podcast. Uh, I think as usual, guys, this is just, we got a regular show for you guys. No special guests, no uh, fancy tricks. We're just hanging out in my garage again. So uh, as usual, we're going to start with Ock giving you the Path Bike Shop news. I have some, I mean, this is really shop shop news today is is there's a couple of personally exciting things going on at the shop so um near and dear to my heart the shop is going to have a process slash hey hey 12 percent discount plus no tax special going on from june 7th to june 18th why is that so special to Ock? because man i've had a process i've had a gen one process since they came out and you like processes before they were cool. <laughs> exactly. Um, before and, people knew they were cool. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. They were cool from the get-go. And that is that is the truth. Um, that uh, medium 435 reach is pretty sweet. If you look at a lot of the new generation, uh, quote-unquote, longer, lower slacker, they, they all seem to be almost centering in on that 435 reach on the medium. Yep. And you have one of the coolest colorways they ever did, which was the <laughs> orange and black. <laughs> and it, it is cool. Um, and so that it, they're fin- fantastic bikes. Uh, the process 153 I have. But maybe, is this all processes? All processes and all Hey Hey's in stock. That is, path, that is Which is a lot cool. of processes and Hey Hey's. 111s, um, 134s, and 153s. I think between the three of us. And trails and races for the Hey Hey's. right. And carbons and aluminums for the Hey Hey's. We are looking at a Hey Hey DL trail right now. Yeah, that's, so yeah, my Hey Hey DL trail, it's it's just the Hey Hey frame, um, but I have it built up for cross-country racing. I've been racing the over-the-hump races here in Orange County, which are like small um, after work dirt crit races essentially and uh, i've been really stoked with this bike i'm really happy with it um, i just have the aluminum one so there's a little bit of a weight penalty but the geo is spot on the suspension feels good i'm i'm really stoked on it and the the angles it just looks really good well and the current hey hey isn't that far from your build like your build's a little blingier with the next sl cranks and stuff 
like you have a little more carbon and a little bit nicer wheels, but the, the current Hey Hey is pretty close to your build. Like as far as just like the basic functionality, one by 11 Shimano, et cetera. And, um, 2200 out the door. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, I'll say the same about the, the process 153 that I've had for quite some time. The lines on that process 153, it's, it's a cool looking bike. Um, and yeah, we've been, I've been riding the, riding, riding that thing all around, uh, big mountain in the local, local steep, local steeps. And, um, even taking that out to Sedona, I did take that out to Sedona. That was, that was a good, a good choice out there. Um, nothing that you can't ride out there on, on the process 153. So 2017 process 153, 2903 out the door, complete bike. That's, that's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. So, um, look forward to that 12% off, no tax, June 7th to June 18th, all in stock processes and hey, hey's. That's pretty close to 20% off. Yep. Yeah. Tax being seven and three quarters percent. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Um, next thing that's near and dear to my heart is, um, I'm going to skip that second point for now because it's not quite so near and dear to my heart, but the, uh, the 2.6 minions are in stock and that's not, um, that's not the, uh, the animated movie. <laughs> so they are cool. The minions in the movie, but, uh, so you were talking about maybe putting this on your 5010. I was actually, um, we got a bunch of them. We're going to have them for a while. So I'm actually, I, I definitely need a new rear tire, um, but I kind of think that the Minions might be a, a pretty phenomenal front tire. Um, and 2.6 wide trail. My gosh, 2.6 wide trail Minion. So you could turn your your 5010 into like a almost many bees. Almost like it's, it's, a, whole, it's getting a few more bees. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of bees. It's a, a mini. <laughs> it's a mini many bees. I don't know. I mean, Is that many mini bees. Mi- I wonder, mini many. <laughs> I wonder if it was really packed with bees. How many more bees you could fit in a two point eight with a forty mil internal? What what internal rim width would you be putting that on? It's a thirty. Okay. Yeah. So that's part of the story. If you put it on a thirty five. That would be, that could pack a lot of bees. That would add bees. That it would, would add, add bees. some bees. <laughs> yeah. So, I actually think that that thirty mil wide on the with the two point six is is a pretty sweet spot. Well, and as we were talking about before the show, that will fit in your non boost pike sort of pretty good if, as long as you keep your wheel pretty true. Yeah, and the amazing thing is that the the awesome thing is is on my fifty ten. It is um. You have a boosted pike. I do. It's fully boosted. Oh. Well, then you have no problems. Yeah. Your troubles are over, dude. <laughs> Pack in the bees. I think I might even try to um, see if that might fit on the rear end of the of the fully boosted 5010. Well, and if not, tight. maybe you do a 2.4 Minion DHR wide trail, and that will fit. Nice. Uh, and that's, that's a good number of bees still. That is. That is. I've... Um, yeah, even like a two five, two four rear, two, two six four. front. Oh heck yeah, heck yeah! But you know, I, I have been running the the Bonte uh, SE three or SE four. 
I think you're running the SE3 in the back. The SE3 on the back. And for whatever reason, the combination of that SE3 on the back, and I think it is the rear tire. I'm running that SE3 on the rear with a 2.5 um, Minion DHF 2 mm-hmm. on the front. And that is, it feels like such a a um, quick pedaling, a fast rolling combination. I and love fast rolling. Yeah, these seriously. Especially. I think um, a lot of people don't pay as much attention to that as they could. Especially, especially these na- days. Yeah. It's, Non-cross-country it's, racers these days. Yeah. It's lost a little bit of attention is a, f- a fast rolling tire. Well, I think part of why it's lost attention is because the the number of factors that we should have been testing for has been expanded so quickly in right. other words, we found out that what we thought wasn't fast rolling in many cases is fast rolling in so many ways so fast right? that we're kind of hesitant to assume that we know what fast rolling even is. <laughs> right. Uh, because, right. you know, all of a sudden it's like, wait, sometimes a 2.8 on a 40 mil internal rim with knobs actually rolls faster. And it's like, really? Like you Counterintuitive, have, right? Yeah. It doesn't seem true. But, well – it's obviously there's obviously a contours of the ground element that would need to be present for it to be true. I think. I think. Right. The the one the one test I'm thinking of, I think Bike Radar did it, and it was um, on a rough road, like a 650B plus rolled faster than a 29 versus a, a smooth road. So I want to point out the difference between, um, like, speed in terms of a timed roll out over a given distance on a given terrain versus speed as far as how fast it's going to accelerate. Yeah, those are so the the test that I'm particularly thinking of was a flat no pedal rollout test on a slight downhill. Right. Which how fast it's going to accelerate is going to factor into that test. But it's not but that test is not in and of itself going to single out how fast it accelerates. Yes, that's true. Right, and this gets back to something that I I need to explore this more because I don't think I'm articulating it clearly. For many years, I've said the, especially around here in Southern California and maybe in lots of mountain biking where you're, this is very true in any rolling object on the face of the earth, you're constantly decelerating uh, unless unless gravity, you're pointed downhill and gravity is causing you to accelerate. But if you're flat or pointed up here, you are constantly decelerating. Unless you're providing the wattage to counter the gravity and the the drag and all that. Exactly. So this is where I kind of think like the acceleration, like anytime we talk about accelerating, if, if it's harder to accelerate something, then just maintaining the same speed uphill, you are actually, you're actually somewhat accelerating just to maintain that same speed. I think only if you lose the speed. Exactly. So you are you are overcoming I mean, you, you do over- lose a little speed in between every pedal stroke. That might be what you're talking about. Right. So so this is why I I keep on thinking like in a situation where um 
Like what I'm like. This reminds me of when you used to try to tell me that 29s weren't going to climb as well as 26. Because you're constantly decelerating. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and don't forget, there's also, I mean, when you're talking about climbing, there's a gross power to weight ratio in, in the physics of rising potential yes. energy. Yes. So um, there, there is always that factor that can be uh, um, buried in there as well. So, so I think what Nathan is saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that a more powerful rider is going to be able to overcome a larger mass, get it rolling and keep it rolling. And it's going to be less of a deterrent than a less powerful rider. Um, yes. Well, essentially you plus the bike going up a hill, the physics of it, this is my understanding is, uh, that total weight takes a certain amount of work to go oh, up. Right. Yep. And so, um, the, the physics of, a of a flywheel, like a, a wheel moving versus a wheel changing speed or you changing the speed of a wheel, essentially accelerating a wheel. Um, that one's a little harder for me to wrap my brain around. I have to think about a little bit more, but just don't forget that there is weight in the wheels. The weight in the wheels will um, add to the overall weight of the package, you plus the bike. Going uphill, it's going to take more watts to to bring that weight up a hill. It's like you know, kind of a potential I energy thing. I think this sort of goes to a conversation that I have heard and sort of agree with, which is that if you don't have the wattage to get a 29er rolling in the first place, 29 is not going to pay off for you ever. Right. Well, there is some flywheel effect too with the wheels. Like, you know, in theory, if right, you had but an That's only if you get it rolling. It's only if you get it rolling. Yeah, so yeah. if you don't have that entry that barrier to entry wattage for a given wheel mass so to right. speak which i only sort of believe in that and i think a lot of it can be mitigated through gearing and through running lighter t- tires and still getting better traction than you would with a smaller wheel like right. i think a lot of people are mistaken about all of the issues when they talk about this but i also think like really small riders with really low muscle mass I can kind of see it. Like, well, well let's face yeah. it. Like, if you have trouble getting a 650 gram tire rolling because that seems like a lot of mass to you, then maybe a 26 that's like 450 grams and super light XC will get rolling for you. And if you only weigh like 110 pounds, that might not seem crazy to run that small of a tire. Like, right. That, and that's entirely possible. Well, I mean, just remember, it's, it always boils down to power-to-weight ratio. In a lighter-weight rider, a pound of bike is going to be a greater percentage against that ratio than a 180-pound rider. You know, 120-pound right. rider or and an 80-pound rider. And if it has to accelerate on an outer wheel mass, that's going to be exaggerated through the acceleration phase. Yes. That's what's kind of cool about riding with you guys is because we are all roughly the same mass. Close. Yes. I'm stronger than you guys. <laughs> you probably do. You, I, no, I, I mean, you guys, that. I think you got through bike. I mean, in a, in a bike definition, you guys are stronger than me. I think I have more fast twitch muscle than maybe you guys do. You could take me in wrestling any day. <laughs> <laughs> I have less, I have less, um, like lean muscle mass, but more fast twitch muscle, maybe. I, I, I suspect. I Tony does that. have explosive power on the bike. He does. Compare, I mean, I was born easy to develop muscle mass and a little more difficult to develop like that endurance, um, lean muscle mass. That's so awesome. And I love that. I love it. That's why I ride bikes. So I love the lean muscle mass. I'm trying to build it still. So the 2.6, uh, wide trails are in stock. I'm definitely, (laughs) I'm going to try them out. 
because yeah. for whatever reason that my two five minion DHF with the um SE three Bonti SE three two three five in the rear, it seems to strike a very happy medium for me on that fifty ten right now. And between fast rolling, uh and I never feel like um this gets into to technique as well that we can talk more about later or on another show. Um from grip and traction, cornering, everything, these to fast rolling seems like a pretty happy medium package, but I've been thinking those two six minions wide trails are going to be a good addition. So I'm going to try that out. And I might end up just moving my, again, this kind of a little bit, I'm not sure how that's going to work out, but put the 2.5 DHF on the rear and put the 2.6 wide trail on the front. Two five DHF on the rear two six okay just because it Interesting. looks just because it looks pretty brand new on the front <laughs> yeah no nice. and, and that'll probably fit back there and that'll really push the bees yeah 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 sounds awesome yeah it's just not your traditional rear tire it kind of is though a lot of, I mean lots of people have run a DHF on the back right yep all right so the last one and the reason why this last shop news isn't really near and dear to my heart is because I can pretty much never run this product. Especially when you hear the overall length. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have dwarfism in the legs and um, this next item is going to appeal to people with longer legs. Uh, Our dear friend Josh, who has um, giant-sized legs with a very short torso. The 170 Lev Integras are in stock. Nice. I am hopeful, Auk, that someday there will be bikes that we can run that in. Yeah, well, so I recently got a 160 Crank Brothers seat post that I put in a high tower. <laughs> uh huh. And it's got a pretty thin collar. And I've oh. got probably 17 mils. So I see it as the bike industry is now eight millimeters away from me being able to run a 170. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was 17 millimeters too long? Of, bef- away from hilted, away from fully hilted. Oh, but it was wow. bottoming out. Th- that no, 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 no. Oh. That's just at my saddle height. I'm 17 mils above fully hilted because the collar. Oh, is so you could thin. run it. I oh, thought you so could. So you could run, run a 170. Not no. The, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Seven. Wait, seven mils. So you're like. What? Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm. I think I'm about eight millimeters away from being yeah, able to okay, run a 170. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so got it. Okay, you got it. so you're almost fully hilted on a 160. Right. Crank Brothers post. That Something is like cool. Ah, uh, okay. Well, awesome. Yeah, so... So, so we're getting closer to having all exposed seat post dropper. Well, I, I was taught... We were talking in the shop today about how we can't wait until all droppers have their full extension limitable down to the millimeter. So pretty right. much everybody runs their seat post fully hilted all the time. Right, and you just dial in... Yeah, so I think there's a couple of versions of things out there, like the Rays kind of had that capability... Kind of, but not down to the millimeter. When we okay. can all run our seat posts fully hilted all the time, the industry right. will be more mature. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, no plastic parts, Crank Brothers. There's some crass. I really like my new Crank Brothers dropper post, and it's really smooth. And it, the fact that the collar is for sure less high than any other collar is a huge plus. Yeah. Because you can fit more drop in there. Right. Right. And that um, extra few millimeters makes a difference. And this definitely doesn't seem to have any of the of the, I almost said something more disparaging, but we'll say doesn't seem to have any of the drawbacks of previous Crank Brothers seat posts. Other than there are some plastic parts that don't seem they're like like they're going to be a problem, 
like, but like, come on. Right. <laughs> right. I don't want to be, I don't want to be overly critical because I like this product and I like Crank Brothers and I'm stoked on this seat post. It's got a really good lever. It feels really smooth and it allows, I mean, to me, the fact that it allows me to, um, get a 160 seat post mm-hmm. over a 150 has been the longest I've been able to run in the past. Totally trumps the fact that there's a couple of plastic bits that I don't think are going to cause a problem. Right. Yeah. On the high tower. Yeah. I couldn't run it on the Bronson because it ran into the front derailleur mount. So it, I can only run it on a, on a, I mean, Santa Cruz wise, I can only run it on a bike that doesn't have a front derailleur mount. So it has to be able to go deep in. Ah, okay. Okay. Uh, and so going back to yeah. deep in that <laughs> 170 KS11 tire, I believe it's 500 millimeters overall. Wow. Wow. That's a little bit long. It goes deep. Some men are longer than others. <laughs> I liked, I prefer to think of it as the iceberg effect rather than a penetrating effect. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Semantics. Semantics. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, um, speaking of deeper... I'm really glad we got a little humor into the show. (laughs) (laughs) I was feeling a little down. Um, (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Nathan got fifth place at the Big Mountain Enduro. Big props, 20-something thousand feet of descending and killing it. <laughs> kind of okay, so we're gonna have to clarify. Can we this just story. move on to that? Yeah, <laughs> I think we're done that's, with job news. That's yeah. Sorry yeah. for job the, news crashed and burned at the end. Sorry for the awkward a u k w a r d transition. Nice. So on that. Well, you know, everyone loves a train crash. That'll probably up our. You know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay. Um. So uh, this weekend, I it was Memorial Day weekend. Um, I went out and visited uh, some great friends of mine out in New Mexico, and I raced the uh, BME, the Big Mountain Enduro in Santa Fe, and uh, had a great time. I got um, ended up getting fifth place in Vet Expert. Awesome! Congrats. Um, so that was Vet Expert. This is not a class I'm familiar with. It's a thirty plus expert. That's Vet these days. God. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so I'm am I like Grandpa Expert? I think you might be what it's referred to as masters. masters. <laughs> oh dear, Mas- Master Tani. <laughs> um, so uh, quite a few people there. So I mean, here's the real number: out of 242 total racers, I think I was about 77th. Um, so I was still pretty happy with that result. Um, there were some fast guys in the vet expert class, or some faster guys in the uh, in the amateur class. Um, the BMEs have kind of a unique. Uh, class structure. I mean, every race series kind of has their own thing, but um, in the past, I've raced amateur. This time, I decided to race vet expert because we get to get staged a little earlier. Um, Here's the nice thing about enduro racing is everybody races the same course. From the pros to the beginners, everybody races the same course. So the nice thing is you don't have to class chase to see how you did overall. Mm, Everybody gets to know how they did overall. Um, Anyway, it was it was super cool. It was um it was set at this uh um summer Baptist camp in, east of Santa Fe in a town called Glorietta. Huge compound. It was amazing. I had no idea what we where we were staying. I was kind of shooting blind. And we got there and there was a hotel on site that we had signed up for. 
the huge compound, this huge lake. There's like zip lines and volleyball courts and hotels and dining halls and te- tennis courts, basketball courts, everything. And, and the center lake was amazing. There's a huge tower with like zip lines coming off into the water. Um, did you do the zip line? We, we, we didn't. It, we, we didn't play in the water, but um, the grounds itself were just incredible. Um, it sounds like they do some mountain biking um, there they had a hum ex military Humvee with a North Shore rack set up for shuttling. They had a, a military deuce and a half with a couple of North Shore racks on the front and the back, so they can pile in people like a troop carrier and shuttle them. That's awesome. Um, the trails were amazing, um, and so uh, luckily I I decided to fly out this time, and so I kind of saved myself some traveling, a uh, full day of traveling on the front end, full day of traveling on the back end. So uh, after work Wednesday, I, I jumped on a flight and headed out there, and uh, big thanks to my friends out in New Mexico for driving around a ton and picking me up and, and taking me to their house, taking me to the race, and, and we had just a, an absolute great time. Um, and... Um, so I got out there Wednesday night, and so we practiced uh, most of the day Thursday. We did 4,800 feet of climbing. On practice day. On practice day oh, on man. Thursday. We did three out of the four courses then. Um, and then we did uh, a few more runs on the more difficult uh, tracks. There are four, four stages total. The, the latter two stages were the more technical ones that I, right. I deemed needed more practice. <laughs> Did another 3,500 feet of climbing and descending on um, Friday. And uh, I felt like I, you know, was comfortable, got enough practice in. And then uh, Saturday was the race. And the race had about 5,300 feet of climbing total in the race. Oh, nice. For for the four stages. And we, we rolled out at about 7.30 in the morning and finished about 1.15. Um, it was kind of nice. I was able to do the first two stages with one kind of one setup with a half shell helmet and a pack. Um, and then the latter two stages, I switched out and ran a fanny pack and a full face helmet. And then also threw on a, a like a, a tank top style chest protector. I have one of those Troy Lee chest protectors. Mm, right, right, right. Because right. the stages were pretty rocky and pretty rough in the second half of the day. Um, super stoked. Um, was hoping they were going to do podiums down to five deep. Man, that they, was so close. I know I was bummed. <laughs> they did not. They only did three deep on the podium. So, uh, I was kind of disappointed there, um, that I didn't get to, uh, stand at least next to the box. I knew I wasn't going to stand on, on the, the box, box right. but I, I was hoping I'd stand next to the box with the fifth place. But, uh, uh, unfortunately I did, I did not, um, and then, uh, but yeah, it was super, super fun race. Um, great terrain. The weather was great. Um, if you're ever thinking about doing that Santa Fe big mountain enduro, I would highly recommend it. Um, and it was cool to see everybody, you know, I think all the Western U S you know, enduro high level racers were there. Um, and uh, so it was cool to see see everybody there racing and and uh, you know everybody's practicing together. We were the vet experts. We started uh, behind the pros, so we were kind of around them. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of fast people there. Lots of fast young kids there. It was really impressive to see the times out of the the under twenty one riders. Right. So lots of young talent uh, up and coming. Yeah, I was looking at some of those times from the. Um 
from the like the junior X or the under twenty ones, and they're competitive. Yeah, they're they're ripping. They're 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 like they mean it. Um, so uh, it was it was cool to see that. Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of um, you know the 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 fun part about the the end of the fourth stage of the day it kind of finished near camp and there was quite quite a section at the bottom with a pretty good rock drop off so there's lots of cheering and heckling right uh going on at the bottom which was which was pretty fun um i was able to finish up and then um take a video and hang out and wait for my friend to finish up in, in that stage um let's see so just by just as an example the um to get on the podium for under 21 um, men at this, at the Santa Fe big mountain enduro, um, you know, Joey Hughes and Reese, uh, all those guys are running 20, 22, 10 to 23, 22, 30. <sighs> wow. I think I did a twenty five oh eight. And looking at the pros, those times would, um, let's see, twenty two ten would have put, would have gotten them thir- 14th overall. That's that's fast amongst the pros. Yeah, and so um, that's um, those times would def would have put them all in the top twenty. Yeah, and and if you want to see a better picture, I would say if if you haven't looked onto uh, Mackie Franklin and and Sid Schultz website and their YouTube channel, Mackie does like an a live race report with like his GoPro camera throughout the course. Um, they're really cool to watch. Mackie does a great job on those. So if you haven't checked out Mackie's website or his YouTube channel, go check it out. And and it's a it's really inspiring. He's got kind of the van life and um, you know grassroots enduro racer thing going. And uh, him and him and his girlfriend uh, Sid do the do all the races. And uh, they show you all the ins and outs of their race setup and kind of how the day went for them. And and I talked to Mackie a little bit, and apparently he crashed and still pulled off an eight. So real hats off to to Mackie there. He he, he killed it. Nice, awesome, awesome. So hey, thanks for thanks for sharing that. And hey, just uh, wrap, uh, um, you know, wrapping back on a uh, how'd that? Uh, what was the name of that? Uh, bike transport it was a uh, bike flights.com oh, yeah How'd that so work out for you i use bike flights and so essentially bike flights gives you access to their discounted fedex rate so essentially you are f- shipping through fedex you go into bike flights you put in the i i put my bike in my evoc travel case measured it weighed it put it into bike flights and it was 75 bucks there i shipped it to the nearest fedex um like pack and mail place next to my friend's house he picked it up for me and so my bike was there waiting at his house, which was really convenient because um, when he picked me up at the airport, his house is two hours away from the Albuquerque airport. And uh, so he was able to pick me up with his uh, Honda Insight, two-seater Honda Insight. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and so we got great gas mileage com- coming down <laughs> to pick me up and, and heading up. And then uh, when I left, I just packed up the bike. I had the return labels, again, 75 bucks back. Um, and some airlines, it depends on the airline, can be up to $150 one way with a bike. Typically, it's between $50 and $150, depending on airline policy and weight. Um, but I didn't have to battle a bike box around at the airport or hope it made it or hope it didn't get damaged yeah, by the a tracking number. And I got a tracking number. So um, 
I just put the new labels on, packed up my bike, left it at my friend's house, and then he dropped it off at the at the local pack and mail, and the bike's on the way back. Um, really happy with that. It, it made it super easy. And again, when he dropped me off at the airport, he dropped me off in his very Insight. fuel economy Honda Insight. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and that was great. And I was also able... Typically, the weight limit for the bike box is 50 pounds, which for an enduro bike, that's the bag and the bike, and that's it. Sometimes right. I have to pull the pedals out of the out of the bike mm. to make it hit 50 pounds. So this time, I was able to throw in a lot of extra gear. I got the weight up to 65 pounds, and it wasn't that much more expensive on bike flights. So I was able to ship the bike with a lot more extra equipment. Less um, stuff that you have to carry. Less stuff that I have to carry, and so it made my flight much easier. Um. And, uh, so I, I, have I've had great luck with it. It was super simple. You just print out three labels and then you kind of like self laminate them and then like make it like a hang tag on, on your bike bag. Mm, Um, so it's great. And, you know, you can also use it if you're ever uh, selling a bike, you could just ship it that way too. It's, it's basically, it's just a FedEx label. Right. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, Oh, and then I guess, obviously, I was telling you guys, so the day after the race, um, I was still, you know, we raced Saturday, and so I was hanging out uh, Sunday and Monday in New Mexico. So on Sunday, we decided to go to Angel Fire, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Never been there before. It was a great, great resort for mountain biking. Um, 2,000 vertical feet per run. And so we hammered Love that. Yeah, that it was is... awesome. Uh, we did 20,000 feet of descending that day. So that was the most downhilling I'd ever done in a single day. And I'll, I got to say, um, I found things hurting that I didn't know would start hurting. <laughs> we should go to Angel Fire. It was, we it was should go do cool. that downhill race. Do they still do that? Uh, they have some downhill races. They have some enduro races. I think the one you're thinking of is in 2005, they had a World Cup downhill. Yeah, but for years after that, they had like a pretty cool event there. I would imagine so. I think they still do have local races. And, it, and they had, I think they had like a longer format downhill that was almost like an enduro, but no, not a lot of pedaling. Like a, almost like an enduro you could do on a downhill bike. It sounds right. I'd have to, I'd have to consult my friend who's a local up in New Mexico, but he's done a handful of races there in Angel Fire. McNeil used to always come back with glowing reports. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a rad mountain and it's proper built up too. lots of great jumps, tons of trails. Like we rode all day. I did 10 runs and we did not see all the trails. Wow. Let's go there. It's let's take it, the van there. It was awesome, man. We should, we could, yeah, yeah, we could do the, cause that, Drive straight through Flagstaff, and I've heard some. There's some good riding in Flagstaff too. Well, we, yeah. I feel like we left a little like Flagstaff on the table when we went to Sedona last time. Yeah, we did. So uh, maybe if we, what, what would that take? Maybe we could do like a if we left Thursday night. Let's plan this off the air. All right, leave Thursday night, come back on Tuesday or something like that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, but it, yeah, Angel Fire was great. Highly, and the cool thing was there was a bunch of demos going on, and uh, Brett Tippy was there. Nice. He was there uh, demoing Yetis, so uh, Brett Tippy was there in all his glory. Um, I think Jamis and Scott and Yeti and Suntour and YT were all there doing demos. And then uh, I, of course, had Monday when I was traveling late in the day, so I had some time to ride. And um, my friend lives in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and so I got to ride 
he showed me some of his local trails, which were super fun, high mountain trails. Uh, that town's about 7,500 feet. Oh, man, awesome. And uh, has some great riding there. They, the, the town is up on these, like, mesas, and there's these, like, canyons separating different parts of the town and different chunks of the mesa. Right. And so you ride, and there's these huge, like, canyons. Oh, awesome. And so it's super, super cool. Um, really awesome little town. I mean, pretty much if, if you live in los alamos you work at los alamos national labs right there's tons of people that work there um so you know probably doesn't get a lot of attention but it was a really really cool place really like kind of remote little mountain town in northern new mexico oddly enough that town has a lot of weird uh kind of uh stats in that it's the highest per capita income in the country and it's like the highest per capita of phds because the town pretty much the county is just the town oh right and the town pretty much Almost everybody works at the lab. <laughs> right. So they're Sounds all like a good place to live. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, I mean, if you're okay, there there is some history to that town. That's where they made the, the nuclear bomb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the town was set up to develop to the develop that. Bomb. And the lab just kind of grew from that uh from that governmental effort. It that that concept of like on a mesa with like canyons and you know that type of terrain reminds me a little bit when Tani and I drove out to Moab uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we stopped in Vergen. Hur- yeah. Hurricane. 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 Yeah. No, I think, yeah, right, right outside St. George. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking the same thing. It reminds me of, but the description reminded me a little bit of St. George. Yeah. We're, yeah. yeah. It's that, that type of writing is, is very cool. And, um, besides my slightly hard crash that kind of <laughs> bum you out. <laughs> yeah. It was okay. Yeah. So, um, anyways, yeah. uh, thanks for that on the the ride race report. Uh, how'd the uh, how'd the bike of the year treat you? Oh yeah. So the the bike ran great. I, the coil on the back was good. The fork ran great. I'll tell you the one thing I was really happy with is um, I have the wheels. I have I've had these for quite a while and they've really held up. This was probably the hardest weekend I've abused these wheels. Um, DT three fifty hubs on DT four seventy one rims. And um, this time I was running um, double down tires. Oh, right. And right. Uh, I was I was hitting rim a lot. It was really rocky. Whoa, with the double the, downs. T- the tires held up good, and the rims didn't dent. Whoa! And and there was a couple times where I was like, oh god, I hit that rim hard. Like you know, front right. and rear, I was really dinging rim a lot. Those rims are just not giving up, not denting. They're really really holding up. Um, the double down tires, I was really glad I had those. Um, how do they feel? <clears throat> you know, we've talked a little bit about the, uh, the casing and they, f- I think they feel a little bit better than the super gravities. Right. Um, I did notice I had kind of a soft, like a scuff on one of them, almost like the start of a cut. And, uh, my friend and I kind of took a look at it and we thought about it and it, it was good. It held up fine. So it was taking sidewall hits mm, and, and right. holding up. Compared to your SE5s that you've been running? The SE5s, I just don't feel like they have the weight. Mm. And I, I think they wouldn't... Like the, the, I wouldn't have felt as as invincible on, on those. Um, but right. yeah, I had the 2.5 Minion on the front and the 2.3 Aggressor in the back. Oh, interesting. And, and I was super stoked with that. Um, those worked good. My St. Brakes, I was happy to have my the St. Brakes for the long downhills. Um, fork Fox 36 170 worked really well. Um, Fox dropper posts worked great. I was really happy to have the, the wolf tooth dropper lever with that big 
serrated paddle. Right. Um, you know, when you're racing and kind of slapping for the dropper post in a hurry, it was nice to have that. Um, and by the way, bike of the year means the transition patrol. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, um, yeah, really happy with that. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else I did unique. Did you um, find yourself ever wanting for more travel? No, I did have to up the fork pressure a little bit because of the big drops, almost to flat-ish landings mm, a couple right. of times. So I saw I was, some of those pictures. Yeah, they were big, and I was I felt it bottom a little bit, so I upped the pressure a little bit in practice for the right. race day. Um, oh, uh, the hike. There was quite a bit of hike a bike, and um, you know, Jaron at the shop I recommended this recently. Um, the Pearl Izumi X Alp shoes. Those are so great. It's very comfortable for all day and, and for hiking, too. X-Alp Enduro 4s? I have the X-Alp Enduro 4s. The new ones, the the 5 that just So not out. with a rat, not with a, um, just with a ratcheting buckle. Not, not, with, not the BOA. Right. So those are what I've been wearing forever. Yeah. Those are really, really comfortable. And those They're are- good for wide-ish feet, too. Yes. Mm. Um, which I don't have wide-ish feet, but I need wide-ish shoes. And and those are really right. comfortable, especially like I probably be in the practice and the racing. I probably did a solid five to six thousand feet of hike a bike. So I think most people need wider shoes. Like I'm not. I don't believe anyone needs to get their toes pinched. I'm I'm super comfortable. I'm really looking forward to getting the new X Out Five because it's the same upper as the old shoe but it's got the new sole of the boa one so they basically took the sole from the boa shoe and put it on the is old. that with the green sole yeah the new green sole i didn't realize they changed it other than the color that's a, a lighter stiffer sole uh i think it's just a different tread but mm. it could be but either way as long as they didn't change the upper <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really stoked yeah i like that shoe too um that really made the weekend very comfortable um oh i i've been using those smith um squad goggles which are the mountain bike specific goggle really stoked on those those are great really really comfortable close to your face good field of view anti-fog i think there's some anti-fog coating on them i'd I'd have to check but they're relatively inexpensive and i was really stoked on those and um yeah i think that's probably it to you know for notable things that i was doing at this race or anything kind of unique anything you saw with the uh top riders like 29 27 and a half big tires narrow tires wide rims narrow rims you know i i think in general i was i haven't seen a big shift in the amateur ranks it's mostly you know 25 to 30 millimeter rims most people using you know still two four ish tires um mostly 27.5 there was a handful of 29 but still most most riders were on 27.5 cool um i'm trying to think if there's i mean that part of the country quite a few yetis um because that's a huge colorado contingency that follows this race series and yeti is also a title sponsor of the event um let's see i'm trying to think lot you know obviously a lot of a lot of santa cruises um uh people from all over the country i even ran into some racers from missouri nice who were uh i think yeah they they were they were quite fast surprisingly i was like isn't missouri (laughs) flat and they're like no we've got some elevation (laughs) um but yeah all in all it was it was really good super fun um 
And Big Mountain Enduro, hats off to them for what I, for lack of a better term, keeping it real. And here's an example. Um, EWS makes you wear a helmet at all times. You'll be DQ'd or whatever. BME, they're like, you're a big boy. Wear your helmet if you have to. Take it off if you're climbing. We don't care. Hmm. Hats off to them for that. We all know what we're doing. That doesn't matter. They're not going to worry about it. It's it's kind of on you. Um, and then also we didn't have like arrival times or cutoffs for the climbs or anything. They were like, we've got all day. Get up there. Do what you need to do. We're, we're going to have a start order for the first one, but that's about it. And we had plenty of time to, to get up there and um and and get dialed in and and uh they did a really good job with that about keeping it straightforward it was a good race format there wasn't a ton of waiting around or anything once the race got started it was great tons of medical staff on course which was really Mm. confidence inspiring right i can you know three or four times on every course you'd be there'd be medical um uh staff there in case anything went went south um, they have a great policy too. If if you do have to stop and help a rider and you lose time, they're going to average out your stage and, and give you that finishing order for that um, you know stage that you had to stop and help someone. So let's say you did like a you know two fourths and two fifths, or you know, or you did a fourth and a fifth, or what? Basically, if you were running like average fifth place in your stage, and all of a sudden you were fifteenth because you stopped and helped somebody, oh, right. they, you're going to get that fifth place for that missed oh, nice, stage. Nice, which I think is is it's is very proper. Cool, yeah, so, awesome. It is. It also opens up the door for a lot of unscrupulous behavior. <laughs> <laughs> potentially, potentially. <clears throat> well, cool. Hey, thanks, thanks for that, Nathan. Um, Part of the reason I was asking about um, the desire for longer travel, I was looking at some of the pictures that you took, and there's some legit sections in that in that race. So the, I would say this race has some true proper downhill, and yeah, 160, 170, you're not gonna you're not gonna be unhappy. You have it. Um, I there's a lot of local California small enduros where I'd much rather race on a trail bike say at that 130 to 140 range. Right. This is not that. Right. <laughs> so speaking of 160, 170. I, New Nomad. <clears throat> New Nomad. I heard, man, I heard there, I heard there might be some that you could actually see at the, at the I track. heard that someone saw one. Yeah. A friend of a friend told me that they saw one. <clears throat> People have seen them places. I've heard specifically a friend called me and said they saw it at the Path Bike Shop. Maybe on oh, the maybe on well, the maybe on the counter even. Like, I can't comment on that, but we'll for sure have lots of them by the fifteenth, and we might. I'm working hard to have some sooner. And if someone saw one more recently than that, I can't comment on that. Well, I my my friend of a friend was I man I. As a as a host, I'm going to have to get into the shop and fe- verify this pretty reliable friend of a I, friend source. <laughs> I I hear this is a reliable source, yeah. and uh, so I hear if you want to see and touch and feel, there's a place you should visit. Yeah, man, I've, I've heard that. So, like I said, I can't comment on that. But if you want to see and touch and feel one, call the shop. Let us know what build and color and size, and we'll let you know when you can see and touch and feel that. 
That'd be a cool birthday present. If it'll I could. be. It'll probably be by the fifteenth at the latest. Okay, that's cool. Well, of June twenty seventeen. You know, it's uh, it might be a cool birthday present seeing that it's tomorrow for me if I could oh, see oh, your birthday man. touch and feel one. Maybe happy twenty first birthday. I'm so can, have to go check that out. Can Thanks. we comment on the colors? Is there like a sand? You color? can log on to the Santa Cruz website oh, and heck look yeah. at them. That's sand. Oh no! Desert, let's, let's like not go matte, there. matte desert it's, sand, and then ooh. I actually like that ink blue color. Yeah, are those the two colorways? It's like oh, a desert sand and I, an ink blue, yeah. sandy and. I ordered one, by the way. <laughs> Mine should be here, hopefully before the fifteenth. If you oh, want to see one, gosh. <laughs> nice. So, so I mean, granted that we're we're recording on the June first, which this bike blew up the the bike internets. So Santa Cruz launched this bike last night at midnight. Right. And it looks, it has a lot of features of the V10. It has a low link and a low mounted shock, longer, lower slacker geometry, even yet. So we have reaches a la process, 65, 64 and a half ish. It brings the Nomad to modern Santa Cruz ideals, I think. It's like the same reach as like a Hightower and a Bronson and a 5010, tall boy three. Right. The bottom bracket measurement with a 170 travel is like 13, 13.35. And in the past, they've kind of exaggerated the height of they the have. Santa Cruz. So, oh, dang, we can only is... hope that it might even be a little lower. That's nice. And not that that's not low. And that it's... For it's, 170, yeah. That's for 170, that's low. Specked out as a 170, 170 bike with a coil rear on some build options. So right? I'm not... I'm really curious to see how far you can insert a seat post in this thing with that split seat tube. Well, because that's what they're... I was reading about that and, you know, that with that... They were actually saying uh, one of the one of the reviews I was reading was talking about how um, it's supposed to have deeper penetration, deeper than what, like than you would expect with that split seat, but not deeper than the old Nomad. Mm, yeah, just deep. Yeah. So I am a little bit worried that it's not going to be deep enough for me to run a one hundred and fifty. We'll see. I, I mean, time will tell. I haven't had a chance to see how deep it is. Right. But even if it's not, like, I might run a static seat post. Some, like, if I take that bike to Big Bear, I might run a static seat post. And, just, oh. and the reverb has that quick pop it disconnect thing, no big deal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, again, you know, let's look at it. I went man. to Big Bear last week, last Friday. Pretty oh, sweet. yeah. Can you come? Friday was the opening day. It was the opening day. Really crowded. Um. I had crashed my skateboard a week or two pr- prior to that, and my knee was bothering me, and I made a point of just kind of riding by myself and keeping it in cruise mode because I knew if I got caught up in any social riding, I wasn't going to keep it in enough of cruise mode. <laughs> but um, everything's awesome. Every, the the 27 and a half jump at the top of Party Wave, the takeoff has been replaced with a wooden ramp, and I think it's an improvement. Because nice. that takeoff always kind of varied and sometimes got kind of weird and people right. got hurt and stuff. Right, right. Um, most stuff's the same. They added a little bit new beginner stuff. But I think the thing that's different is there's more like there's more people up there more stoked, at least on Friday. Right. Like the lines were long, which wasn't good. I heard they were shorter on Saturday and Sunday. Um, but it was like a... It it really was like I saw Winston was up th- was up there in a path jersey that gave me the warm and fuzzies. Oh, nice, nice. Um, hey, but Winston, it, good to good to hear about you. But it was like a full. 
It's just, you run into a lot of people you know. It's just a nice day. It smells like pine needles. Yeah. That's awesome. Man, but I, a Nomad would be nice up there. A new Nomad. Well, speaking of the new Nomad, one of the things I'm I'm pretty excited about, can, can we expand on the details of the Carbon Santa Cruz branded wheels now? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about it. I... Yeah, four year. Wait, what's the deal uh, on the warranty? Forever lifetime warranty. Almost sounds like no questions asked. Um, free crash replacement. So let's say you buy a Nomad, you get these new Santa Cruz, you upgrade to these new Santa Cruz branded wheels, and you crack a rim. You say, "Yo, I cracked my rim," and they say, "Here's a new one." Within twenty four hours, S- something like that. And I and- think with a new hub. I mean. Well, this is all really new to me, and we're still working out the details. But I think it's going to be with a new hub, like a whole new wheel, because that's the twenty. House would they do the twenty four hour replacement? Well, also just that's what I heard. Yeah, wow, I was reading that on one of the posts from someone at Santa Cruz. And granted, this was like pre info. Like this wasn't like, oh, this is official info, and you can tell your customers. So I probably shouldn't say it. But I heard. We'll figure out the details as it gets ironed out. But it's looking like there is a very strong retail or strong warranty on these Santa Cruz branded. Did you check out the inner width on those? Uh, I did not. What's the specifics? I don't have it in front of me. I was just. I thought maybe you did. Oh no no no! I uh, sorry, I don't have that as well. I'm guessing 35. Should I do the desert sand or the blue? I th- I ordered the blue, but I might change my order. I think desert sand is. I think desert sand is the new black. That's why I was thinking about doing the blue. A little different. I And did you see the blue? Looks it like, looks good. Yeah. Like yeah. the desert sand, though. Yeah, I think the desert sand is going to be the hot color. So maybe go with the blue as the uh, counterculture, true counterculture. Go with your first impression. Don't don't look back. That's right. Whatever, whatever struck you first. That's so, what they say about picking what? Wall color? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these new Santa Cruz carbon rims, they're called the Reserve. And it looks like 30 mil internal. Which is a pretty, it seems like it's a pretty happy medium for 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 the internals. I remember a while ago me saying that that was wide enough. And now I'm not so sure. Okay, so here's, here's the deal. The, uh, the Reserve wheels will add 1,200 to the price of the bike. Um. They will be laced up to Industry Nine hubs, um, for eighteen ninety nine or fifteen ninety nine with DT Swiss hubs. That's the aftermarket price. Um, just like Santa Cruz's frames and bearings, the reserve wheels will come with a lifetime warranty. When a damaged wheel is received at Santa Cruz California facility, they promise a twenty four hour turnaround, an impressive quick time frame that should keep the amount of the time off the bike to a minimum. So they are. They're basically here. Here's here's my says, read between the lines. Santa Cruz is recognizing that carbon rims. A lot of people are are skeptical of carbon rims breaking, but if you want to try carbon rims, this would send me down that road. And I've had carbon rims and broke them. This is this is a pretty rad deal. And it says lifetime, no gimmicks. Not li- this is straight from the website. Lifetime warranty. Lifetime, no gimmicks, not limited. If you actually manage to break our rim while out riding, we'll replace it for free. And probably high-five you in the process. Nice. If, if that, it, hats off to Santa Cruz for cutting out the bullshit. 
If it gets run over by a truck, we'll help you out with a low-cost accidental crash replacement because life's too short to argue. <laughs> so don't 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 run over this with your truck, but if it happens to break while you're riding, that's what right. it sounds like. Nice. That's really cool. And nice another nice little feature about the Nomad. It's got this little like frame pad kind of higher up where it would rest on a tailgate pad. Right. And it uh it says it's uh to prevent the frame damage from shuttling. That's that's really cool. I mean, these guys know how these bikes are being used and they're designing accordingly. So hats off to those guys. Well, and a lot of times that upper part of the of that of the underside of the down tube, that's pretty exposed as well. It it is. It is. So I've been like kind of back and forth like, do I need to get a downhill bike? I kind of want a downhill bike. Maybe I want a downhill bike. Maybe I just need a nomad. I rode you know, I, I rode my enduro bike with a 170 fork at Angel Fire all day, and I didn't feel like I needed a downhill bike. And I really we don't need it. a downhill bike. We don't need bikes. But period. But we could do you have gone? I mean, I suspect it would have been nice. Could have been nice to have a downhill bike. Twenty thousand feet of descending in the day. I'm guessing my fatigue might have been a little lower by the end of the day. But I did have a really. I had a really fun time riding my enduro bike. I'm, I am not on the enduro or on the downhill bike swing in light of enduro bikes being so rad. But that being said, I have found that I ride, I have an enduro bike, a trail bike, and a cross country bike. I do most of my riding on my trail bike. The enduro bike is for park and enduro racing and really big downhill days. Yeah, so like when we go right up into San Gabes, you bring we bring the big bigger bikes these days. Correct, but long apart, downhills and shuttles. But apart from that, even even when we do some pretty big pedaling with lots of gnarly downhill in the in the local rides, we, we're riding on the the trail bikes. I ride trail. Yeah, my big deciding factor is how long are the downhills. If a downhill is typically three minutes to four minutes, my trail bike I can I can ride down some pretty gnarly stuff. When we start getting over five minutes and seven minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes of downhilling, I need, I want more travel. That, that's my, that's my deciding factor is, is the, the length of the downhill. You know, I'm looking at the Santa Cruz, I'm looking at the new Nomad with where that uh, split seat, seat uh, post is. It's low. It's very low. It's maybe below where the front derailleur mount is on a Santa Cruz that has a front derailleur. Right. So I'm wondering if you might be able to get that 170. I don't think so. Because again, I could I don't think it's much below where the front derailleur mount would be and I can't run a 160 with a front derailleur mount bike. I can run a 160 with a not front derailleur mount bike. Yeah. yeah. Bike bike looks great. I mean, it's I mean, come on, it's the new Nomad. It's going to be hot shit. You cannot go wrong with this bike. That is true. And and not only that, the the fit and finish is going to be top notch. The support of of um, service parts when needed is going to be absolutely great. You're going to be able to order service parts directly if you need to. If you're in a pinch, um, the you know the carbon manufacturing is going to be super on point. The weight's going to be competitive. Uh, there, super smart build. It's here's you're, another. You're not going to go wrong with yeah, this. totally. And here's and, another. And it, I, I just want to say one thing though. We've been accused of being Santa Cruz fanboys before. I don't have a Santa Cruz in my garage, but Santa Cruz knows how to make really good quality bikes. I think I missed that one. Who accused us of that? I I think we've. uh, I think I picked that up on a message board. Uh, Well, I am kind of a Santa Cruz fanboy, in so much as I tend to get Santa Cruzes. 
Like that tends to right. be my go-to bike. And I'm like tuned into the suspension. And I feel like they just kind of work for me. Yeah. You guys, I mean, I good. like, I like a lot. I mean, I, I tend to have a nice smattering of giants and Kona's and other brands as well, but I usually have a Santa Cruz in my quiver and it's often my main go-to. Yeah. This, uh, and once I get my nomad, if I don't sell a bike, I'm going to have three Santa Cruz's in my quiver. Nice. So maybe I am a fanboy. <laughs> They're solid bikes. They are. They are solid bikes. I mean, not to mention, I took home the high tower rental, and I'm not giving it back till I'm done with it. So that makes four. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's uh, it, it's good to be the king. <laughs> Sometimes you get to take the demo and keep it. Yeah. So that's um, that is a that's a good looking bike. I really do like that the low mounted shock. I you know I aesthetically think, and functionally I think it speaks it's it's it speaks the right words to me right it, it's going to be keeping that weight low is going to make the thing flickable yeah and they uh, you low know low and centered yeah and it's kind of cool that they've got that they've got a little um like a a, a debris guard uh, kind of to keep the keep the the shock clean the muck out of the shock yeah. Nice. That's that's a nice little, you know, point about it. Ink and gold, t- tan and black. Ink and gold, tan and black. The tan and black. That matte tan looks looks hot. That ink color is like a really nice deep blue, though. Yeah. You know what? We I feel like we may be phasing out of pop colors because neither one of these I would consider pop colors. Yeah, we're not seeing true. really bright colors these days. For whatever it's worth, I, I, everything goes in phases, and I feel like we were at the kind of muted colors like five years ago, and then. But you know, we're, we're not this- seeing a true kind of conservative color either, right? They both have a little bit of flair, a little bit, and the one that's maybe a little bit more conservative is the gloss color, where I feel like that's kind of like typically tips the, the pop balance color back the yeah. other way. Right, right, right. Interesting. You guys want to do listener questions? Yeah, so, um, yeah, let's... And by the way, I mean, I get... I sort of feel like Santa Cruz, as much as their bottom brackets are typically a little conservative on the high side, by that I mean they tend to be a little bit lower than they they say on the website, the the weights tend to be a little bit lower than reality as well. Um, But 26.9 with the... um, with Santa Cruz... Reserve wheels is that the claimed weight? That's the claimed weight on the um, CC with the uh, XX one. It's hmm. lighter than my tall boy. <laughs> Dios mio, man. Dios mio. You know, I've heard rumors that this is the best pedaling Nomad ever. I wouldn't would, doubt it. That, that I mean, would. I assume it's going to be the best descending Nomad ever. But if it's also the best pedaling Nomad ever, maybe I'll sell my Bronson. Because when I had that, when I had the Nomad, it was a darn good pedaling bike for sure. Yeah. Oh man, listener I, questions. I I had a Nomad too for a while, and I want to say, it, I they're set up quite a bit different, different. But there is a possibility that's a better pedaler than my, um, transition. my transition. Yeah. Listener questions. So we've got Ryan. Um, I have. A, I have a 2013 Fox 34 CTD non-remote 160 that I serviced recently, basic service. When going to reinstall the CTD, 
CTD knob, the screw will not bite in the top of the damper, leaving me with a non-functional knob, and I think I'm stuck in lockout mode. Inspecting the top of the damper, it seems like maybe chipped. It, it seems like maybe it's chipped, stripped, and that's why the screw won't bite. Is this fork toast? Can I manipulate the? Can I manually flip it to descend mode and somehow just leave it at, at that? It's on a steel hardtail that I did ghetto build, so I'm not trying anything fancy here. So I think, yeah, I think you should be able to take your remote. Your, you should be able to take your lever clock it over to the locked out position and turn it to the unlocked out position and take it off. Yeah. Cause and if you can't be, do that, you should be able to use some channel locks or pliers or something to gently turn it. Right. There should be some kind of mechanical interface. In other words, the shaft typically has like flats on the side that you should be able to grab with the knob without it being screwed on. If I remember correctly on that fork and I haven't pulled up a diagram or anything that top, that, that lock, that CTD lever, um, kind of clamped onto a hex-shaped kind of extrusion. Right. And you just need to get a hold of that thing and turn it. That, uh, yeah, uh, that would make sense to me. And and go gently, but yeah. yeah. And um, if you want something kind of more legit than that, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 200 bucks, you can get a new damper assembly. Oh, that's not too bad. So a couple options there. Um, hopefully that works out for you, Ryan. Um, anything else on that? No, I think that's a pretty straightforward one. Um, we got Ryan who bumped into Nathan on a lunch ride. Um, I don't know. You remember Ryan? I, I do. Yeah. Um, Ryan kind of wants to know what I meant by setting up my suspension for my breaking point. Um, because on a previous podcast, I mentioned that I don't so much set my suspension up to feel good for like mid speed down the trail, but I more so set it up to like save me and feel good towards the edge of my limits on speed, which I think generally means to answer Randy's question that it doesn't feel quite as plush as it could at mid speed. To, um, but there's some travel left for the big hits more or less is the kind of broad brush strokes. And for me, it means too, that I run a pretty slow rebound. Okay. But it's not as slow as you'd make it out to be. Maybe not. I don't know. It depends who you're comparing it to. Some people might say ox rebounds really slow. Yeah, that's true. I think if I'm saying that ox rebounds pretty average on maybe even on the slow side, then maybe it is as slow as I'd make it out to be because it's a little slower than that. So, so exactly. So when you're saying, yeah, no, that, that might be true. So when you're saying you set up your, I mean like T grand faster rebound than you for example. Yeah. And like people who I think of as running fast rebound run. Yeah. But I, I would say that in the past few years for myself personally, I've definitely moved way to the faster. You've sped yours up. And I might have sped mine up a little, I too. I think you have, too. But I think I'm still slower than you. Yeah. That's true. But I also think that um, you can do that with modern suspension because there's more. the suspension is more controlled. Mm. I think on some of the older suspension, just to get the suspension under control, you had to run slower rebound. Mm. That's a good point, too. 
very good point. So specifically, kind of what parameters are you, when you're saying you're setting them up for this breaking point? Do you I would say that? more spring rate, more damping on both ends it, okay. compared to like setting up for optimal smoothness at mid-speed. So you're, in general, stiffer. Slower and stiffer. Slower yeah. and stiffer. So that when for, you're... For me, that's what that translates to. Okay. I think for most people, it's going to at least translate to... You know what? I don't know. It seems like it translates to different things to different people. But I will say that, and, and I also don't think that everyone should optimize their suspension for their braking point, especially if they have no interest in ever approaching. I mean, a lot of riders have very little interest in like exploring their braking point, expanding it, approaching it. And, and just to clarify, because of the nomenclature could be confusing. When you mean braking point, you mean like tipping point, not braking. So I like to ride up until the point where I start to feel like I'm getting out of rhythm back up until I'm back in rhythm and then start pushing that limit again. So I'm always trying to go as, to me, that's usually as fast as I can go. Right, but not, I, not breaking like brake levers, but right. meaning breaking like a tipping point of getting on the edge of out of control. Like Right, like I, I start to get out of control and maybe the suspension will save me. Right, breaking bad, breaking As opposed to down, I'm right. riding down the trail and the suspension just makes it feel good. Right. Which right. is, I think, a valid way to tune your suspension. Especially yeah. if your riding fantasy is to pretty much match your last, is to have like a, a consi- like if your ride fantasy is to ride the trail at kind of the same speed every time and just not get slower and get through it safely and have the bike feel comfortable and plush and good, and you never intend to try to push your own limits to where it could get dangerous, maybe that maybe a different tuning goal. Right. That makes sense. I mean, I'm always wanting to find the edge of my of my skill set and then like learn how to push that edge further out safely and con- and kind of controlled and gently and smoothly. Right. Like I don't want to go full cowboy, but I want to like find the edge of that and then back off from it. And that means sometimes I accidentally go to full cowboy. Right. And then I want the suspension to save me. Right. 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 Well, and to that point, some people that ride well within their comfort zone are going to tune their suspension more for comfort, whereas in your case, you're going to maybe give up a little bit of general comfort to make sure that suspension's there to catch you when you're getting rowdy. Yeah, or to save me on that one big hit that's weird. Right. Where I don't get bucked because my rebound's slower. Or... And, you know, and I know you're... Um, I would almost consider that as more of a racer setup versus uh, like a recreational rider setup. Maybe. I sort of speculate that if I tuned it in for a specific race course and practiced that race course, the setup would still be a little softer and faster maybe for some race courses where I thought I could get away with it. Right. Okay. And where I knew kind of where I was going to take chances and where I wasn't. and Right. Does that make sense? Kind of that that makes sense. So you're you're saying, but in in your race scenario, you, for, this is a race for, you practice. But as far as in. like trying to get faster as a racer, like okay. riding in a variety of terrain, and just having kind of one setup for most of it, right? Like, well, g- being ready to hit something sloppy, tired, and a little faster than you want to. Yeah, or get out of rhythm, and all of a sudden there's a big bump that you're not ready to right. like un- pre like unwait for or whatever, and un- right or 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 you come into a big drop a little sloppy, and you're a little sideways and a little 
rearward first and you're gonna like tank slap yourself a little bit mm-hmm. like <laughs> <laughs> nice nice moto term yeah so i hope that answer answers uh randy's question you guys have anything to add to that no uh, let's move on i i found myself doing that this weekend i had my suspension was set a little bit more for comfort and i was hitting big huge drops in this race and i had to stiffen up the suspension essentially so right. i i kind of did go down that road a little bit yeah so um we've got josh from montana and um josh's question has to relate it relates to standover height um he's looking at a 26 he's looking at maybe purchasing a 2016 tracer alloy and medium and he's got like about a 30 inch inseam and he's worried about the standover height, and he notes that some other bikes like um, the Norco range and the Specialized Enduro 650B have significantly lower standover height. Um, he points. He he knows that standover is not kind of the the key metric to choose by, and he's wondering. Just kind of, he seems to be wondering, kind of like how much of a concern is it that he might not have much standover clearance on the bike he's thinking about. Um, I can say I have maybe a half inch shorter inseam and I can stand over that bike reasonably comfortably. My personal concern has more to do with how low I can get the seat on most bikes than what the standover height is. So it's the, it's the amount of usable dropper post distance. Like we were talking earlier. I think in term, I think in terms of like, Things other than reach and bottom bracket height and head tube length and all those things like that, um, or or just in terms of like this kind of how tall the bike sits, I'm more worried about how low I can get the seat than where the top tube is a little bit because they're sort and, of related. I mean, and I agree. Yeah, they are, and I agree with Josh that like reach is more important. Right. Yep. But. But I'll take as much standover as I can get. And I think yeah. where standover really helps, where it's underrated, is in being able to drape your knee over the top tube while you lean the bike over without leaning the body over, which is a huge technique for flat cornering. Like if you okay. want to corner without a berm, you want to keep your body upright, but you want to lean the bike over. And to do that, you have to be able to get your knees around the top tube. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So like when you're... When you're leaning the bike inward towards the turn, your inward leg, you don't want it to be bumping up against your inward leg. Right. And this is, and as someone with kind of short legs, it's a bigger problem. Because, uh, you know, someone with longer legs can make kind of a bigger bow leg thing. Right. Um, I would say this is where processes really shine for me. Like yeah. no other bike has ever done it for me on this level like a process. Because the, the standover is so low. It's a common. It's more over, more even than the standover is low. Is how low the top tube is relative to the bottom bracket. Right, right, right. right. But yeah, it's re, it's related to the. It's also related to standover. So to this point, if this if if this guy can um, try these bikes in a parking lot and try some over exaggerated turns and lean the bike over and see if this is an issue. Yeah. Especially if this is a technique you're already familiar with where you keep your body perpendicular to the ground but lean the bike over. Right. For a lot of people, this is a little bit higher level technique. For really advanced riders, it's a pretty basic ne- technique. Right. But, right. but that's something you could, you could 
you could vet this out. It, assuming you're familiar with this technique, you could vet it out in the parking lot and answer the question pretty quick. And this technique in and of itself is like a topic. I recently heard someone describe it as breaking the plane. In other words, you're breaking your your bike is breaking the plane that your body's on. Right. Mm. Separating the bike from the body and being able to lean the bike without leading the body. It's to, it's pretty deliberate too. And I, I find I I do it more when I'm really focusing, looking ahead, really concentrating on yeah. what it I'm is doing. one of those yeah. kind of fundamental techniques that you can never focus on too much and even really good riders have to kind of recenter on it sometimes. Yeah. I feel like. And I I've been finding myself doing that a lot during rides is re- I like that term recentering on some of these fundamental techniques. Like how far into the turn you look, looking like looking at that exit point, um, getting like Nathan had mentioned that whole like getting a little bit farther forward on your bike than you might think you should be, you know, to actually get centered on your bike. Right. Especially these new super with bikes with a lot of, with the wheels way out in front of you. Right. And so that it's amazing how much like thinking, rethinking about these things, even as you're riding and breaking the plane, that whole leaning the bike without you leaning with the bike. Those are things noticeable in the middle of a ride that you'll be like, oh, wow. And it all comes together. Well, yeah. And then when you see a picture of yourself doing it, you're like, oh, I look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh, that Tracer Alloy is a sweet bike. I'm sure you're going to be stoked with whatever you get. Hope you love the bike you buy. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, I'm going to skip that one, I think, for now. That's a lot of questions. Okay, so we've got Chase. Chase has a 2007 SX Trail 1, 1x9. He's got a cross max rear wheel, and he recently replaced some bearings or had a shop replace some bearings in it, but he's still getting... Like, um, it won't freewheel. So it's causing all kinds of problems in his drivetrain because when he coasts the chains, this is a, you know, it, it yeah. won't freewheel. This is a f- symptom we've seen on cross, cross max hubs. I almost hesitate to say this. Well, that is a fixable symptom. You can get that fixed. You might need a new free hub. Likely you need a new free hub. You might just need new free hub bearings, but a new free hub from Mavic is pretty reasonable probably cheaper than a cheap new wheel and if you can do the work yourself it's probably worth doing um but chase's general question is should he throw any money at this or should he just save up for a new bike and that's a tough one i I mean i think you can get a rear wheel that'll work on that bike for somewhere between 100 and 200 bucks at a shop or on ebay or whatever you do and I also think you could fix that wheel if you find the right shop or if you kind of geek out on it hard enough for probably less than a hundred bucks. Um, but there's, I mean, I remember that 2007 SX trail and, um, it was really cool in its time and really like was kind of a class, kind of a, kind of a um, class leading mini downhill of its time. But I would say if you could come up with like two or three thousand bucks, you could get a much better bike that's modern. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got a lot of good options. Yep. Fix it, replace it, both. Um, I would 
if everything else on that crossmax wheel seems good, like if the rim isn't dented and if the spoke tension seems even and if it seems true, I would look into maybe just replacing that free hub body. And I hate to say this because it's going to probably be a headache, but if you need us to track you down that part, give us a call. But have have the serial number of your wheel ready because we're going to need that to order the part. Right. Mavic is so many like different. That. Yeah. Mavic in particular, we don't even we won't even bother ordering trying to order parts unless we have the serial number because they make running changes mid year and da 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 da. Mm. Right, right, right. And because frankly, when they get on the phone, the first thing they say is like, "You have the serial number." They yeah. want that because they know. No. They know. Right. Want to do another one? Sure. Joshua. As a follow-up on the release of the new Pivot Mach 5.5, that bike seems like it would be a prime. That, that bike seems like it would be prime for a mullet conversion with 160, 27 and a half front going to a 140, 29 and a 29 er front paired with the 140, 27 and a half rear with large volume tire. Would also help the bottom bracket drop on the front as well. Thanks. Um, so more of a comment than a question. I read it because I agree with it. <laughs> nice. Um, it does seem like a good candidate for a mullet. You're going to probably raise that front end like 12, 12 to 15 millimeters or somewhere along those lines when you put a 140 29er fork on it. And it could be a really fun bike. Yeah, that sounds rad. Man, that mullet that when you had your when when you had the 153 converted as a mullet, that thing was super fun. It really was, and I really, I had a pretty spindly low travel fork on there. Yeah. Relatively, I would like to try it with like a Lyric or a thirty six with more travel, mm. because I feel like I feel like the mullet really is for downhilling mostly, right? But even it, it's almost wonder if you could maintain you guys cover that. for me for a minute. I gotta go see a man about a dog. <laughs> it almost seems like. Um, same front travel, just a little stiffer fork on it with the Piper 36 on it would have been. Right. Well, I you, you know, I think what Tani's getting at is, you know, a lot of the mullet conversions, you need to go to a shorter travel fork and and sometimes you might go to a smaller stanchion fork. But uh, I, I think this listener's on, on, on to the key point is that if you, you know, a lot of these bikes that have shorter rear ends and a, and a long or specking with a longer travel fork, you you tolerate less of a geometry compromise, right. and you can keep kind of the same magnitude fork. Twenty um, nine er wheel being longer, the whole thing still having a longer lever arm. If if you do go down this road of a conversion, definitely try to keep at, at a minimum the same stanchion fork or or larger. Right. And- um, and the pike is an, is an amazingly versatile fork in that way. Right. The pike, I think, in the 29er can go from 150 to 120, depending on air shaft on right. the same chassis. So, um, yeah, the pike would be would would be a great way to go. Yeah, I actually have a 140 pike right now on a 29er of mine that, man, you could easily move that over to the process. Yeah. 
almost just like that and call it good. Yeah. So we, I don't, I don't have it up in front of me, but we had that listener question that pointed out that as far as they understand, mixed wheel sizes are legal, illegal in UCI racing. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's an interesting thing. I, yeah, I, I, we were talking about that a little bit before the show. I, I have no reason to disbelieve that. I think that is correct. And I, I, he commented, I think the, the spirit of the rule was to avoid different size wheels for like time trial and things like that and road. And so like running a smaller front wheel. Correct. And uh, business in the front party in the back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait, no party in the front business in the back. Party, Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when it goes to, I mean, I, I really have a fantasy of showing up to an over the hump with a 29 rear and a 26 front. <laughs> nice. Just to kind of make oh, a point. And I think I could be like as fast as I'm going to be and maybe a little faster on that <laughs> setup and over the hump. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Um, what if we yeah. Made- so it, I, I guess to that listener's point, it may be in the racing rules. And if that's the case, if it does change, we might start to see racers start trying it. But it's really going to open up because. Obviously, you know, the way the mountain bike world works is technology gets proven out in racing. Like we're, we're seeing unfold in front of our eyes now with the 29ers and downhill racing. So, I mean, to me, it just seems so clear that there's really, there's really no downside to a 29 inch front wheel for downhill. Like I just don't see the downside, especially with boost spacing and wide rims and, you know, tire availability. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, at least for myself, I do see the downside to a 29 rear wheel for downhill, for straight, yeah. steep down. For straight, as long as the downhill is steep enough to create an acceleration that overcomes the fact that I pedal faster on a 29. Right. Well, you know, we're going to have to do a little homework on the on the rules, but I have no reason to believe that this is incorrect. And uh, maybe that's something they update in the UCI rules and, and we see it start happening so so all, almost all of the fastest path employees are mixed wheel size dedicates dedicated i wouldn't say all but like to to say a few sanjay carl um ruby ruby um that's those might be the fastest three people that ever worked at the path for downhill. I don't know. They're among them for sure. Like it's an argument to be made for sure. And very well thought out people in their approach to riding. I mean, Sanjay and Ruby are probably the two fastest downhillers that ever worked at the path. Yeah. McNeil, although he didn't ever, he didn't work at the path, but McNeil's also a mixed wheel size advocate. Yeah. Right. So, so in other words, once the, it, so I guess the point being is it may well be a, a faster solution that's being artificially suppressed by the race rules. And we're not going to, you know, see it on such a large stage as being a, an option. I sort of semi suspect that there's a height point where it's less clearly the best option. Mixed wheel or 20 mixed wheel. In other words, I, I suspect that I suspect that if I were six, three or six, two, I wouldn't need a smaller rear wheel than 29. Uh, like I would be able to not get my rear butt. I would be able to not get my butt buzzed by the rear tire. I would be able to, um, and I would also be able to run my seat lo- as low as I want to and not get my seat buzzed by the rear tire. Um, 
because at my height, I want to get my seat really low. And that 20, even on 26 inch wheels, the limitation on how low I can get it on a downhill bike is the rear tire. Right. Right. That like makes sense. I look on my downhill bike. When I had a 26 inch wheel downhill bike, I would take, I would take the spring out of the shock. I put my seat at the angle I wanted it at, and then I would compress the suspension all the way and lower my seat until it buzzed the rear tire. And then I'd raise it up a little bit from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you buzz your butt on your, on 29ers on real aggressive trails, Nathan? I buzzed my butt on my 27.5 at Angel Fire. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did it mid, like, I did it mid jump. What, you're like 5'11, six foot Nathan? Uh, I'm like, I'm 5'11. So I picture you being not quite as tall as I would need to be to not have feel like right. that wasn't an issue for me. Right. Well, I think you can buzz your butt on any tire. Which, but like, like I said, if I've you're proven. like six three, six four with long legs, you might not buzz your butt on a twenty nine. Probably not. I, it just depends on how the situation. I I found myself getting a little sloppy in one point and got my butt or buzzed. More, maybe more to the point you may be able to raise your seat up to where it doesn't buzz on a 29 inch rear wheel and not have it seem stupid high for a downhill bike. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Food for thought. Yep. Um, you guys you do want, another one. Uh, we can, we're, if you'd like to, we'll, we'll go for it. We'll make it quick. Okay. Right. Cause this is a, this one, we need to get this answered so that we can help this person. Okay. Scott says, this guy's from Blythewood, South Carolina. Hey, guys. I've enjoyed your podcast. Keep up the good work. Oh, thanks, Scott. My family and I are going to Sedona for a vacation at the end of June. I would like to do a day of mountain biking while I'm there. Can you give me some je- su- Can you give me suggestions on trails, a shop to rent a bike from, and a suggestion on what bike to rent? Currently, I ride a BMC TEO2 hardtail as that is a great tool for our local trails. I would like to say I'm a middle-of-the-road mountain biker. However, I am in decent shape as I, as I am riding the DK, DK200 next week. Dirty Th- Kenza. Thanks in advance for any suggestions and keep up the great, and keep the great podcast coming. Thanks, Scott. Um, I think this is Nathan's realm, Sedona. Yeah, so I, I would say um, over the edge... Uh, all, all the shops rent, I would suggest over the edge. Um, Jason first owns that shop. Um, I think that's, that one's located kind of in the, in the main part of town. Um, Did he used to work at Shimano? Crank brothers. Crank brothers. Okay. It's local guy. Yeah. You know, yep. And, um, great shop. Um, I think they rent, uh, I think it's, they have Trek, maybe Yeti, maybe Niner. Um, I would say, um, rent something with more travel than your than your hardtail for sure. Um, I would say rent. You know what? If you're on vacation, and you're gonna have fun. Rent the longest travel bike you can, unless you have no experience with that, because that could be a little awkward if you're not used to like those head angles and that squish factor. True, I, I I agree with that. If you really have never ridden a long travel bike, maybe just go with like a 120 travel. Right. Definitely five inches of travel or higher, one twenty or higher. Um, I would I would talk to Jason and and see. I think Jason and Mike work at that shop. Um, ask them what they would recommend. They'd probably and they'll also let you know what's available for the day. 
um, and be ready for some some chunky trails, step up, step downs. Um, I would say, depending on your comfort level, stay away from the full black diamond trails until you try out some of the easier, like bluish. What are trails. some ones to try out? And then if you like those, go try the hogs and highline and stuff. I would say, um, so, so on, from that shop, I would go down to like where the slim shady trailhead is. There you go. And, uh, Pick a couple of trails in that area, not doing the Highline and If trail. those seem easy, go check out Highline. Check out Highline or um, Hangover's kind of off by itself. I then- think Hangover's a good one to check out because even if you're a pretty good rider, you're probably going to walk a lot of it and right. it's super scenic. Yeah. But you got to be <clears> – Hangover is uh, – there is some serious exposure. Understand yeah. that – it's tech it's techy and it's challenging and it's scary. Yeah. And be ready to walk the sections that you need to walk and hang over a cool spectacle. That a, is a really cool trail also that's kind of a little closer to the over the edge shop. I think it's called Mezcal and it's kind of on the north western side of town and you could ride there from that shop that's a great sampling too and that's kind of a a mellower trail it's not super rowdy that's a super fun trail too i i would actually that going uh renting a bike from over the edge i would say go do the the mezcal loop or mezcal or i feel like we rode that and then go go, we didn't go over to that side of town go get some cheese at whole foods (laughs) they have a full service cheese bar it's it's pretty amazing it is and maybe some like roasted roasted buffalo or something you have a full service meat bar too and that was pretty awesome yeah (laughs) but if you do go out tell tell her we said hi (laughs) and tell her we said hi Yeah. yeah stop by the rv park but if you do go ride hangover um i would recommend maybe taking someone with you yeah if possible and so like the other trails i mean it's always good to ride with people but the other trails are they do maybe not quite so much on the um on the exposure yeah and if you get a chance go go swim in the in the river yeah yep it's red it's refreshing it's cold and actually we all professed our love to each other afterwards (laughs) (laughs) we did we did I mean, if we, you, we fell in love on that uh, <laughs> after we swam in the river. <laughs> it's amazing that we found the the creek entrance. <laughs> there must have been a vortex in that river. It, it was, you know, because there was a a lot of not a creek entrances around there. A lot of not a creek entrances. <laughs> but hangover, yeah, totally. Um, if you're out there with family or whatever, and you're up for, a, a, like Connie said, you know, a lot of it you might be hiking on a bike anyways. If you're up to running. Um, Running, jogging, hiking—that's that would be a pretty. It amazing sounds like this person has the fitness to bust that out in yeah. like a couple hours, even if they have to walk yeah, most of the true. downhill. That's true. Yeah. It's it's awesome. Uh, that trail is awesome. Oh, and also don't forget the whole Broken Arrow area, um, which I think is like, it's basically by the Submarine Rock area. That's that. Those are really that's a great kind of introduction trail to the area as well. If you don't want to bite off the full black double black diamond like Hangover or Hog. Our yeah, uh, hangover were, highline trail. Broken arrows were a lot of fun. Yeah. Would you say hogs are kind of intermediate to that a little bit? Like hogs, I think, are like single black diamond and like hangover and highline or double black diamond. I I, I want to say that's kind of the local rating that system. That makes sense. But uh easy one is that north northwest side, Mezcal. Like I said, we didn't do yeah. that on our trip, but it's a 
it's a longish trail, but a really good sampling of like it's a little technical, but not not super crazy. And the the Broken Arrow trails, if I'm remembering correctly, those those were a lot of fun. A lot of fun and not super that is, super hard. That area is, I should say, that area is a lot of fun. Yep. Cool. Awesome. So send your listener questions to podcast at thepathbikeshop.com. Yep. And participate in the hashtag on Instagram, hashtag the path podcast. Um, we try to do that as well on our adventures and shenanigans. I should try to do that more. You should. <laughs> I'll, work, I'll it, make a point of it. Yeah, that, that'd be good. That'd be good. Turn yeah. that iPhone on to, uh, if you've got the iPhone 7 Plus, turn it on to portrait and take some close-ups. Is that, your, is that your photo tip of the week? That it could be my photo tip of the week. <laughs> oh, yeah, we forgot. That was an inadvertent photo tip of the week. You got any more photo tips of the week? No, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it, but um, I do have a... So, again, and I probably talked about this before, but if you got the iPhone 7 Plus, um, that the that portrait mode is more than just portrait mode. So if you if you see some of my pictures that I'm taking and posting them on hashtag thepathpodcast.com or hashtag the podcast on Instagram... Uh, a lot of them are taken in portrait mode, and even though I'm not taking portraits of people, so it's it's pretty awesome. Can and, you tell us a little bit more about what that does? So, sure. The portrait mode, if you've seen pictures like wedding pictures or pictures, portraits of people, uh, a lot of times the person's face or the person, the subject will be in sharp focus, and then the background will be blurred out. That's referred to as B-O-K-E-H, bokeh, like kind of the, the blurriness in the background. Um, certain applications, certain apps like Snapseed on on, on the iPhone or, or, or other phones uh, allow you to do that, uh, blur the background. But the, the iPhone 7, uh, 7 Plus, has the ability to focus near and then blur the background so does that allow you to bring your subject into greater focus it does it does and so that's really the, the point of it is it brings the you to allows you to bring the subject into greater focus and then eliminate some of the distraction in the background like ah. if everything's in equal i had thought focus, of it as a negative trade-off but you, you just reframed it for me that was cool yeah i had been thinking like well you lose some focus in the background but you bring your subject into greater focus and it's you, a trade-off but you just reframed it to it, like it's a win-win it is a win-win um and what's kind of interesting is play with the balance between um eliminating distraction in the background by by blurring that background uh bringing your your subject into focus along with what I've heard or what I've been reading about as well is using the greater depth of field, so n- not blurring the background, but keeping both your your subject and the background in focus. It's someone referred to that as the storytelling depth of field. Is Be- that enhanced by the two lens thing? Um, it it can be um, the the. The eliminating the distractions of the background by blurring the background, that really is enhanced by the two lenses or what they call by a, a very um, wide aperture. The other is more of just a balance. It's it's more of a balance. And so you can play with this where a lot of times I get carried away with this is where I will overly eliminate the distraction of the background by blurring the, the stuff in the background wanting to bring the the sharper focus up front on the subject matter um but i was reading and it reading someone who reminded me that said you know what 
being able to see stuff in the background often tells a story of what's going around. It's a setting. Yeah, it's a setting. And so you, you can really sometimes blur the background, sometimes bring it into focus to tell a different story. And so, again, when you're, when you're taking pictures, um, think, think about the story. Think about the context, and that'll help you remember. Do I want to blur the background, or do I want to keep it in focus? So like, kind of like asking yourself what you want to show? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. That's cool. That's a good discussion. Thank you. You just got anything to add? I, I think that's it for me. That's it for me. Well, for Nathan and Ock, this is Tawny saying love the bike you ride.